says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to talk things, talk all things, sorry, blue and gold is my good mate, 60s. Second recording of the season, mate. It's 2023. The season's just around the corner. We've got some football to talk about right now. Mate, I'm really, really pumped about it. I'm a little bit weary today. It was uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers last night down at Acorn Stadium. But seeing as though we're talking about the Eels and about footy, Mate, I'm I'm ready to go. That's it. Let's start off on a bright note. Uh, the Eels doing more of their housekeeping, more of their recruitment retention, getting locked up. Will Penasini commits to the club to the end of 2025. I wouldn't say this one was a no-doubt at 60s, given that Rugby Union had shown serious interest uh, with Eddie Jones at the helm and uh, a very big pay uh, checkbook to sign with. But it would have taken something pretty crazy to get him out of Parramatta in the next few years. Mate, there was, like all of the signing um, processes that happen at the Eels these days, there was nothing in the way of whispers that were that was coming out of the club. However, and there's a big however with Will, there was a bit of peripheral noise. People that were suggesting that there wasn't really any real risk of him not signing on for a few more years with the Eels. The words like he loves the club, um, he's he, he has no interest in rugby union. Uh, he's uh, he loves being coached by Brad Arthur. He's been with Brad since he Rousel. was about fourteen yeah. years old as a as a coach and a mentor. S- loves playing with his mates at the Eels. Now we did see Will echo a lot of that in his comments after the signing announcement was made. So maybe some of that peripheral noise was actually spot on the money about what was going to happen with Will. As I said, nothing was leaking out of the club. It was all all this peripheral chatter that was going on and it, it did come true. So we now only await news. I mean, look, that's fantastic news about Will and Will was there for the photos that were taken for the uh, Harold Matts team and spoke so eloquently to the team, didn't he? When yep. um, when uh, coach Chris Howard was having a bit of a chat with Will in front of the team and asking him a few questions about his own experiences in pathways and advice he has for the fellas, he spoke so well. You could see them lapping up every bit of what he had to say to them. Um, it was a great addition having Eels juniors who have come through the systems that the young players have been through themselves you know, come in and address them. We've seen them do that in past years and good to see Will involved this year. But, um, yeah, it's fantastic news and he's been in rare form in the preseason, mate. Just he has been outstanding in all the opposed work. Since coming back from the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So now there's just one major person to get locked up in Mitch Moses. And again, nothing's leaking from the club, but there's a lot of that chatter around that it's it's pretty close to a done deal. And the Bulldogs quite publicly pulled out their interest from Mitch after signing that or paying that monster transfer fee 
and then signing the uh, is it Carl Owapu, I think, from the Broncos. Uh, so they've, yes. they've put all their eggs into that basket, which would leave the Tigers as the last major suitor uh, for Mitchell Moses' services beyond 2023. So I have to wait and see how that plays out. But yeah, you, you imagine the club are sitting in the box seat there. And just going back to Will, it's going to be an exciting couple of years for him too because his younger brother Richard's making some waves in the SG ball and after that preseason for the NRL pre-Christmas himself. So it's going to be cool to see if uh, Richard can make the same moves that his brother did because you're, you're talking about Chris Howard's speech there, 60s. And it just put into like you don't you don't really think about it as a fan, but that meteoric rise that Will had from SG Ball to first grade essentially, and how fast that what that ascent was for him, and how well he just sort of hit the ground running in first grade football, which you don't often see for young outside backs like that. Yeah, especially when you had to throw in there the lost season of COVID. Jersey yeah. flag. Yep. Yeah. So to COVID, it was, and it re- as you mentioned, it really did get hammered home when. Uh, Chris was basically going through the timeline of Will's achievements through Pathways, and no sooner was he wrapping up the Pathways than he's talking about NRL. Straight into NRL and World Cup duties <laughs> in grand yeah. finals. So, yeah, I mean, Will is the poster boy for uh, not just club development, but play development on an individual basis. The, the amount of effort he puts in himself and, uh, you know, the, the sort of the catchphrase I use, the separation, the preparation, right? Will really embodies that, and that's why he's done so well in the NRL. Yeah, yeah. It's So it was a fantastic announcement, and uh, like has been done recently with all the signings, it's, you know, we wouldn't say great fanfare around it. It's just... I, I will give yeah, the, the club a shout-out, though, though. It was fun seeing the... Is it Deal or No Deal? Was that the... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Deal or No Deal meme on the Twitter, so they're doing some good work. That and the Dylan Brown announcement were both top-notch, so... Uh, yeah, well they're very, done. very, very, very clever um, media content that's been coming out of the Eels in uh, the last eighteen months or mm-hmm. so. It's it's mm-hmm. been enjoyable to watch. It's um, you know you get a bit of a chuckle out of it. It's um, yeah, bright, uh, bright talent there in the Eels me- media department. That's for certain. And uh, you know the season's just around the corner when the official launch happens. Sixties. That was the case last night. Obviously, you weren't there because. You are double booked with the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but the Eels kicked off the season proper uh, with their marquee event. Uh, anything to come out of that that we should be aware of? No, I did see a bit of footage on that. And just incidentally, there, when it comes to events, this was, this was a matter of uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. I enjoy the Chili Peppers, mate, but uh, that was... That was Yoko's baby to go and see the uh, Chili Peppers, and what do they say? Like happy, happy wife, happy life. Yep, yep. And uh, there's a long season of NRL and uh, well, footy in general coming up. And uh, I think if I had have said, uh, "Listen, you know those tickets that we planned for for a long time for nearly to a go year, and see a the year Chili ago. Peppers," yep, yep. <laughs> I'm now going to the Eels season. <laughs> no, no, that that. That wasn't ever going to happen. So, but look, the footage that I saw, uh, there was uh, quite a lot of culture that was presented there as well. Uh, obviously, interviews with the with the players. Hopefully, we get a bit more uh, content of about the evening that that comes out. Their season launches. You know, the last one was held at Rose Hill. And there was all the uh, the COVID protocols that restricted what was able to be done. So the players were really 
kept in a bubble that night, uh, kept behind closed doors, ushered out onto the stage, quick interview on stage, then ushered back off and away from uh, the people in attendance. So it it sort of didn't feel like a proper a season launch, launch yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I imagine for the people that were there last night, it would have been a, a brilliant night for them to attend and a lot of excitement about the upcoming season, I'm sure, was conveyed uh, to to the people in attendance. Uh, wish I could have been there, but uh, unfortunately wasn't to be. And, um, yeah, that that really starts to give us that sense, doesn't it, of the how close the season is. We, we're one week away from the first of the trials and, uh, well, what are we, less than a... Than a month from the um, March twelfth is it that the season kicks off or thereabouts? I want to say maybe yeah, it's early well, this year. Yeah, yeah. So around about a month, roughly. So uh, just over. So yeah, it's all it's all nice and close. And second um, of March, we kick off. We kick off the season on the second of March, not the twelfth, the second. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Just just under the Eels v Yes, the second of March, the Thursday night. So we are actually just under four weeks. Yeah, crazy. As of today. So, yeah. And of course, you talk about signposts sort of leading you on that countdown towards the season launch. Your training report, 60s. What's the latest happening there, mate? Well, mate, I've actually wound up my training reports. It's, uh, I know there's people will probably be disappointed that there's uh, no more uh, coming. Though I will have, however, my team list prediction, uh, the post that went up just prior to the preseason starting has turned out to be the biggest uh, readership that we've had on any post. We're at about 8,500 reads on that particular uh, team list prediction. Now, after watching the preseason, I'm going to predict the team as well. And I wanted to do that before the first of the trial teams were announced. Because I think by at least trial two anyway, we start to get an idea of where the coach's thinking is at. And as for the reason for no more training reports, we're really getting into match mode now. Over the next two weeks, the Eels are are preparing for specific games. And when it comes to what I report, I can't really and I won't report on specific preparation. Uh, for specific opponents and we're looking at that prep for the Penrith uh, as an opponent we're looking at the prep for their Newcastle as an opponent and after that the two-week lead into the season proper is all about that first match against the Melbourne Storm so we're really into the specifics now it's something that I can't and won't report on uh, much as it as it is every year when once the season starts I might be there at training, but I won't be reporting on it. So, um, but I do still have, and I'm looking at it's a it's some tough decisions to make, mate. I've got my preseason awards post coming up, and it will be, for example, I'm going to present the King Gutho Best Conditioned Award. Now, I'm going to make Gutho himself ineligible to receive that. That's a lifetime achievement award for him already. So. That's, yeah, he's he owns it. It's um, in perpetuity yeah. in naming the award after him. So 
I've got to make a decision about who really is, has just been consistent when it comes to conditioning people. Uh, and, and really that's about 50% component of a pre-season is all the conditioning work. And it's to be at that level where I'm saying you receive the King Gutho Award there, it's, it's going to be a great achievement for, for someone to be, uh, not so much that I'm considering them that because I think I'm just reporting on what I see. I'm not, there's a judgment, but there's not a judgment. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what you see, you can't fudge. In, in the efforts that the that's the players are putting in in that regard. So I'll make my choice on that. I'll make a choice on I'm I've got to think of the right name for it. It's maybe it could be the uh the ice surprise packet award who I think could have the same sort of impact as uh Isaiah Papali'i maybe coming from the clouds to mm-hmm. um to make a huge impression in one season. So uh, we'll see. I, I've, I'm still working on the names of the awards, but I've got that post coming up, mate. So uh, hopefully people will uh, get behind that particular post, hopefully enjoy the read and uh, get a maybe that tiny little bit of extra insight into what transpired during the preseason. And I'm very looking forward to that one. Your sort of end of preseason wrap-ups are always telling as a read as to where the Eels are travelling. And I think... The uh, excitement from just you know your reports this season—it's almost been palpable, hasn't it? About where this team is going, what that, what sort of damage they can do this year with uh, Josh Hodgson and company at the helm. So really looking forward to seeing how you're going to wrap it all up. But uh, on the flip side, instead of wrapping things up, we're getting things started with our first slice of proper football this weekend. Sixties, the junior representatives kick off round one with a road trip to the Central Coast, where all three grades—the Mats, the Boar, the Gale—take on the Central Coast Roosters. Obviously, this week we spent some time in and around the squads there getting used to or getting uh, acquainted with players and coaches ahead of the season. Uh, the vibe was very good across all three squads and they're going to make a big road trip trying to start the season 1-0. and Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, Look, it's a tough ask straight up because the Roosters have gone particularly well in uh, junior representative football in uh, recent seasons. Their Gale team, which is the Indigenous Academy, has... They play some of the best uh, female pathways football you yeah. would ever see. Consistently and, being one of the top teams in the Tasha Gale. Uh, absolutely. They're, they're thoroughly enjoyable to watch. We know how excited the and how pumped the Eels team is to for this season ahead. Uh, there are obviously, there's a few changes from last year with... Uh, girls graduating age-wise out of the under-19s team. We've got um, an injury or two in there as well that it's made it a little bit tougher for the season ahead. But by the same token, these girls are there to make their own history. Just like last year, the girls made a bit of history in uh, finishing in the top two after the regular season. They only lost one match in the season, which was their opening round against the Roosters. So, uh, and then they had the unlucky loss in the grand final qualifier. Really a game that I thought they deserved to win. Mm-hmm. And I thought they copped a few harsh decisions later in the game. But that's rugby league and they, they can't be thinking about that aspect of it. It's It's got to be about moving moving forward with their game. I know that Coach Ryan Walker is looking forward to getting these girls on a similar path to what we had last year 
and we'd like to think that they're also finals bound this year. But that test, the first up test against the Roosters, mate, couldn't ask for couldn't well, it, ask for a bigger. It actually mimics last year, doesn't it? We had the Roosters first up, played them in a really tough loss. I think the scoreline was twenty two ten or twenty two twelve off the top of my head, and it ended, yep. up, it ended up being the Roosters' most significant challenge in the regular season that entire year. And as we would go on to discover, our girls were actually a very good team that year who came roaring home up until that grand final qualifier. So we'll just have a quick look at the team list this week, 60s, and see what stands out because it is a mix of uh, returning players and new talent. At fullback, one of the two co-captains, it's Debbie Dewey or Debbie Duahi. On the wings, you've got Alicia Bell. She's a returning player from 2022. Alongside Howie Bell, who I believe is no relation there, 60s. Uh, in the centres, mm-hmm. you've got Caitlin Pearden and Lindsay Tui, so new centres there for the Eels. Halves, you've got Charlotte Cawthorn, who is new to the team, partnering returning playmaker Talara Bamblett. In the front row, you've got Layla Dimmick and Kanye Marumulu, with co-captain Ashley Pottinger at dummy half. In the back row, Khaleesi Mahe, Kayana Lakeni, another returning player, and Makaya Darcy. On the bench, Casey Q, Mele Akawala Lala, Mela Lima, uh, Sarah Poloali, and Layla Black as the 18th player, I believe. So, like I said, a pretty healthy mix of returning players and then new talent. Uh, they had a, a tough run with the Bulldogs in their first trial, or se- first trial of this year, but I think second trial of the preseason, if you count the Canberra one. But they looked much stronger the following week against the Penrith Panthers. Now the business starts with a, a absolute top tier hit out. How do you see this one shaking out for them, mate? You have a look at the lineup, and they have three players from the spine returning. So there's a solid base that's there for a start. You'd like to think that that's going to carry them quite a long way. There's other returning players, um, a couple of other players that the uh, staff, I know have got their eye on in terms of where they think they'll go in their rugby league careers. It's Where it's hard is trying to judge how they will all gel as a combination because there was a bit of fluctuating form in the trials and how much of that relates to the opposition I guess we start to see this week and we don't we don't know how I mean the Roosters have been traditionally strong how strong they'll be this year we only time will tell after this weekend Uh, what we saw from the Bulldogs in their trial against Parramatta, was just uh, it was overwhelming. I, I it was the most impressive trial that if I, I can if I could maintain that standard, they're a legitimate premiership threat. The Bulldogs. Oh, but, but we've absolutely. also seen in the past the Bulldogs aim up massively for trials against the Eels, so it does make it kind of hard to pass how you know how good their team is. But yeah, if they play to that standard, they're going to be a team to watch out for one hundred percent. Look, it's also fair to say that we butchered a few tries in that game. Yep. And a lot, and we when we say butchered, we're talking about last pass last going pass, down, yeah. yeah, with with try line open sort of scenario. Now, whether that was really going to impact the result of that game, it was probably. I don't think it would have because the the Bulldogs were they were in the zone, in, just in a massive way in that match and. They just their teamwork, the power with which they ran out, the power that they tackled out. Now, we were closely tracking the Eels team. We're monitoring who's coming on, who's going off. How 
how the Bulldogs balance that is also another question. I don't know how fresh they kept their players during that game and maybe the the power that lasted for the entirety of the match. And that was the other thing that was outstanding, wasn't it? Just the, the power and intent the collision. that yeah. they played at. Yeah, the collision that they played at for the entirety of the trial. There was no there was no real waning. It was I, I know I'm I'm raving on about their performance, but it was just It was legitimately it, impressive. Like the Tasha Gale standard of play has been very high over the last couple of years. And that would be right at the top of Tashigal levels, what they did in that trial. And that's why they're a team that I'm very curious to see. Was it a one-off where they sort of had their sort of preseason grand final against us or are they legit? Yeah, and I think to that end as well, because we weren't monitoring that how much of a spell players were getting, how fresh they were able to keep them through the game, um, we don't know about that. And And I guess even to counter that, if they were spelling the players and, and coming on in short bursts, there was no question then that the depth was pretty good in the squad because <laughs> they maintained the performance no matter who was out there. So I guess it's six of one and half a dozen of the other, isn't it? Did they get If they got an advantage in one respect, um, it maybe was only because their depth was just as good, in which case that advantage has continued through yeah. the whole season. So, um, yeah, look, I I guess with this one, it, it's really hard for us to give our tips. What I can say is that we built into last season and probably the least convincing performance, even though it was a good one, was the opening round. Mm-hmm. And you sort of half expect that. But I think they'll be looking to make a, a statement in the first week. I know Ryan Walker is he's very strong on that defensive commitment. Yes. That, yes, that is very true. Yeah. Like there's, and that was a feature of the campaign last year. Yeah. Yeah. And the girls have got their keywords. We'll let them keep that within their squad that uh, we heard them talk about in the meeting, the, the words that will represent them this, th- this season. And I think that what we can expect from the team is that they will come out with the intent of making that statement in the first game. And uh, for me, the first this first week, I'll be measuring the attitude as much as what I will the result, and I'm expecting a good attitude this week. Yep, and the Tasha Gale kickoff at 1.30pm out at Maury Breen over on the Central Coast. It's actually the third game of that junior representative block on Saturday. You'll be out there for all three games, but at the start... We have the Harold Matthews kicking off at 10.30 a.m. 60s. Uh, this one, this this fixture, the Central Coast 10.30 a.m. start, probably holds a special place in our hearts because that's where we first saw Dylan Brown uh, corresponding back what all those years ago. But this year, Eels have a, a healthy mix of uh, new faces and returning faces. More returning faces than I fought in the Harold Matthews, which just shows you how young that team was last season. Uh, but we'll go through them now. At fullback, Corey Lay. You've got Dom Ferruja and Lorima Rokasuka on the wings. Lucius Muliaga and Josh Patrick in the centres. Brennan Navarro, partner Lorenzo Talatina in the halves. Mikhail Tito and Ocean Vivala are the starting bookends with Zaydis Muago Tutia at dummy half. You've got Jordan Uta and Captain Josiah Finaluta on the edges. Tyson Sanglang is a lock forward. On the bench, Lachlan Kornakis, Anthony Abdo, Junior Siali and Mason Ong. Jack Nicholas is the 18th player. 
like I said, 60s, healthy mix between returning uh, players more than I thought and new faces. Very interesting team here because not a lot of massive bodies in this one, but the pack's full of goers that have a lot of energy and a lot of aggression. And I, I wonder if that's going to be enough to carry this team through the season because I'm really keen to see how they go because Tito and uh, Uta and Funa Luta and Sangalang, they were all very impressive in that trial against the Bulldogs. Yeah, the Bulldogs trial was really, really right up there in terms of being impressive. But it, I counted that with a lacklustre performance against the Panthers. Mm -hmm. They were blown off the park against the Panthers. And, I mean, it looked like we were going to see a repeat of the Bulldogs' effort. The start was bright. They were creating havoc on the left on their left side attack. Uh, we had uh, Dom uh, Ferrugia was released a number of times down the left wing. And uh, from memory as well, we got to the stage where I think Corey Lee was held up over the line. Uh, just They just prevented the try on one of those raids. And this was all, uh, there would have been like three or four line breaks in the first seven, eight minutes that went the Eels' way. They couldn't convert any of them. The Panthers worked down, and the first time they got a sniff of uh, better territory and possession, they scored. Converted into points, yeah. And then the floodgates opened, and all of the line speed and aggression that we saw at the start of the game, all of the line speed and aggression that we saw in the previous week, it literally went out the window. So, look, they fought back in the second half. I think from memory, the second half score would have been something like 16-4. to four in favour of the Eels, but they were down 28-0 at halftime, which gives you an indication of how that first half went. Mm -hmm. And I think as a result of that, um, young Ocean forced his way into the starting pack. Um, he came he came off the bench from memory against, uh, against the Panthers. He might have come off the bench as well against Canterbury. He did. So his, his trial performance, especially against the Panthers, he brought that aggression. I'm, I'm sure it was one of his tackles as well where he he manhandled the Panthers player in defence, forced a, a, a lost possession, a loss of possession. Uh, when the Eels, I think, got it from uh, from the scrum after that, went downfield, scored the try. Um, you know, moments like that, when you've got the, the blokes in the engine room that can cause that sort of change in momentum... It's it's golden to any team. So I guess we need to see all the players firing in the same game. Uh, I think we had uh, a large number firing against the Bulldogs and then we had some not firing against the Panthers. If they all come together, um, get it done uh, this week. Yeah, there's a lot of excitement about the Harold Matz team. A good mix of talent. You talked about that, the returning and the and the new players. But I think there's a lot to like about what they've got out there, especially based on the first two trials. So um, you mentioned uh, Coach Chris Howard and talking uh, the the way that he was uh, spoke to Will Penasini the 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 I suppose the information he got out of Will the, the the guidance that Will was able to provide for the players in that jersey presentation uh, speech. Look, it was that was a great 
lead into their big training session of the week, uh, midweek. Uh, they would have had their captain's run yesterday. I'm sure they're all pumped. I I think we're going to see a win from the Harold Matts team first up. I know how they felt about how they started the season last year. I reckon they'll be looking to change that around this year. They know how important it is. They were behind the eight ball. They made the finals last year, but wasn't it a battle all the way through? Yeah, and then they had the pretty comprehensive loss of the Cronulla Sharks in the sudden death uh, round. So definitely uh, got a chip in their shoulder, you'd think, coming into this season about you know proving not just to their critics, but to themselves about how good this team can be. Um, and looking at that Roosters team, 60, some interesting names there. We've got another Talatina. So I wonder if there's any relation there to uh, to the uh, Eels Lorenzo. You've got Lawrence Talatina playing on the edge. And you also got a Rodwell captaining the team at halfback. So is there a relation to Kai? Uh, but the, probably the big one everyone will be looking at as soon as you look at that Roosters team is Zach Fittler. Young lock forward with plenty of wraps on him. Uh, obviously, uh, Brad Fittler's a progeny there. He's got the same footwork at the line, but I think he's a bit bigger than his dad was at the same age. Uh, and he's a returning player for yeah, them. He's a year young last year playing where he was still starring in the Harold Matthews. So he's going to be on their tip sheet for the Eels 100%. Watch that left foot step, I think it is. Uh, and, you know, just watch his ability to break the initial tackle. I'd be interested to see just how much bigger he is this year. Because he was, he, was, well, he was well built last year as a year young. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that one kicks off at 10.30 a.m. out at Maury Breen, which then brings us to the final game and the one that bookend is bookended by the two other games, sorry, in the SG ball competition, kicking off at 12 o'clock p.m. Eels v. Roosters, what a shock there. Uh, starting at fullback, you've got a new face in Upper Twiddle, Cody Parry and Muhammad Alamadine, one returning player, one a graduate from the Harold Matthews there. They're on the wings. Richard Penasini, we've already given him a shout-out this podcast. He'll be in the centres with Devontae Vivella as well. And I want Devontae and Ocean, are they related? I don't even think about that. I think they might both be down from Queensland, so there is a chance they're related there. I have to chase that one up. That's very interesting. Uh, in the halves, Ethan Sanders, he's going to start the season in SG Ball and get some game time into his legs. He'll partner a new recruit from Queensland, Josh Lynn. A lot of Queensland recruits, actually. We'll talk about that later, 60s. In the front row, Sam Tulvati, one of the players to watch moving forwards. He's going to partner Lance Fulima, Young Matt Arthur at dummy half. On the edges, William Lewis and Dom DeStratus. Captain the team as he transitions from centre to lock forward is Charlie Geimer. Really looking forward to seeing what Charlie can do in that uh, transitional role this year. 60. He's very excited given his combination of uh, footwork and ball playing skills along with his physicality. On the bench, Pat Spence, he's going to be the dummy half utility where he'll be joined by Sebastian Piacala, LeBron Tuala, another player I'm very keen to see in action, and Raf Destratus, Sam, Sam Squire, sorry, is the 18th player. Um, I think it's fair to say expectations are pretty high on this team. There's a lot of talent there, a lot of players that have been involved in the uh, partial or, or semi-partial full-time preseason uh, before Christmas break. So a lot of players that have a lot to prove in the SG ball where they're expected to dominate and maybe go up to the Jersey flag later. I think that's an important point that you're making around the expectations because there's been an investment made in those in that particular group of players. It might be unfair to, to talk about investment when it when it comes to individuals, but that's just the facts. They've They've been part of the Jets squad in the middle of last year, the extra training that they did. It's then transitioned into the uh, partial NRL preseason. They all went particularly well in the preseason. They were ready. That You couldn't fault their attitude, their application, 
the there obviously there wasn't a huge amount of full opposed work that uh, that was played in the early part of the preseason where they were. It was uh, a lot of um, partial field opposed work, a lot of grid stuff, a little bit of uh, working through shapes unopposed or with maybe uh, you know a touch opponent there was a bit of there was a bit of contact and then they did wrap up uh the end of the season with uh big opposed sessions with um three teams of players rotating in bursts of full field opposed so it was that was interesting to watch in the uh, at, at the conclusion of the preseason but again I'll come back to it very impressive from them in the preseason now how that translates into how they play as a unit is now becomes another matter because, you know, you're mixed in with, uh, because that was only part of the group. Now I will also say that they, they backed up their training with the NRL squad. A lot of them with training that particular group with training in the flag team as well. Yes. So it was again, a high level of commitment from them in terms of their, their training. <sighs> Look at that. It's an interesting halves combination, isn't it? Because we've got Blaze Talangi, who's uh, has an injury and may not be seen for a, a large chunk of the of this uh, junior rep season. So we've got that movement of Ethan Sanders, who was one of the stars, if not the star, of the Jersey Fleet team last year, dropping back to SG Ball to get, as you said, get some. Uh, footy miles into his legs at the start of the season and Josh Lynn who was the best on field in the final trial against the Panthers like Josh like we'd heard a bit about Josh Lynn prior to him arriving at Parramatta his trial against the Bulldogs was okay without being a standout but he was he basically was ticking every box mm-hmm. against the Panthers. And for the, for the Eels to get, I won't say a comprehensive win over the Panthers, but, a, well, it was, it was a significant, it was a good win against the Panthers, who were the defending champions in the SG ball. So, and he, as I said, he was outstanding. Uh, so much of the, the action came through him, as you'd expect with a half, but, I mean, he really did stamp himself on that game. So it'll be interesting to see how they combine he and Ethan Sanders because Sanders has been a ball dominant halfback in the past. Yeah. So you got to find a way to share those responsibilities in a healthy manner. Absolutely. So um, a lot of players that we are familiar with, but we didn't get to see LeBron in the trial. And for those that have checked out TCT since yesterday, we have the official Jersey presentation galleries up and my goodness, uh, Matt Dury did the presentation of the SG Ball, and there are a couple of boys that, you know, are bigger than him by some margin in the front row. We're talking about guys like Sam Tuovati, uh, Jack Burrows, and whatnot. But then you get the picture of LeBron, and it is just gargantuan. He is a massive young man. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to, for us to get our fair, our first look at LeBron. And uh, who knows, we might have a few more supporters making that journey from Western Sydney up to the Central Coast just to be able to check out how the young man goes on his Eels debut. 
and who knows, in a, another few years, we might be uh, looking back on this game just as we did uh, with Brown. Dylan Brown mm-hmm. and uh, and saying, look, we were there, we saw Dylan Brown's first ever run in blue and gold colours and uh, we might be saying the same about LeBron. But uh, we we do have to walk before we run, before we sprint. Yes. And and he's just got to get this first game under his belt. So no great push on him as far as my expectations in this game. Let's just get through the game, do your job. Do your job. That's the three key words there. Just get in there, make your tackles, do your runs, and then let the game flow from there. Now, much like the Harold Matthews, the SG ball got off to a tough start, lost their opening game last year. And from there, it sort of got worse. It became a struggle, yeah. Uh, it was, it was, it became obvious that in dropping the games that they did, and look, there was a there was a couple of games there where it was some tough calls as well that led to that. But they they did have um, opportunities to get away with some games, but. It just never happened for them last year. They failed to make the finals. So we do have that expectation that they're going to turn it around uh, this year. And, you know, Coach Steve O'Day, I was talking to him before the Penrith trial, and uh, they'd lost that previous week against the uh, Bulldogs. And I asked him, what was he What was he looking for? And he said, mate, if we can get the basics right, just the basics, we're going to go a long way towards winning games. And that's exactly how it turned out. Their their completion rate was far better against the Panthers. Lo and behold. And, and lo and behold, a, a very, very strong win over a very good team. So uh, that's basically what I'll be looking for from uh, the SG ball team. I, I just love football. You know, for all the complicated shapes and structures that you train for and all the you know, defensive patterns that you're trying to break down and, and attack your opponents with. In the end, just holding on to the football and getting through your sets is worth so much, isn't it? And you know, whether yeah. it's NRL or SG ball or anything in between, you know, the fundamentals will always be so valuable. Yeah, yeah. So for them, uh, look, we've been privileged in the past. We've been able to sit in on um, uh, their um, captain's run and their tip sheet video, and that's been a revelation for us being able to watch how well the game is broken down by the Eels coaches at this level. and uh, But we weren't, uh, the jersey presentation wasn't linked in with the captain's run this year. So we didn't get to see that, that final words of advice from the coaches. But you can imagine that it's going to be all about those basics, about hitting and sticking in the tackle as just simple reminders. And then, of course, you're going to, be looking for their specific goals, players to watch. And so the instruction would be, remember your tip sheet, do your basics, hit and stick in the tackle. And, yeah, as I said, you'll go a long way towards the win. Yes, indeed. And before we move on to our special guest this week, Sixies, I want a quick shout-out because it completely slipped my mind. But given that the preseason is in full swing, the All-Star game is around the corner, or All-Star games, sorry. I've got a number of eels uh, being represented across both games there. Uh, new recruits Jermaine Hopgood and Dejan Arce will be representing the Indigenous and Maori All-Star sides respectively. So Hopgood in the Indigenous team, Arce in the Maori side. And then on the flip side, in the uh, NRLW uh, space, we've got five reps with Kennedy Charrington, Gail Broughton, Brooke Anderson, Zoe Fay and Ash Quinlan 
all set the line up on the same team for the Maoris. So uh, very cool to see all seven Eels representing the club, which will kick off in, uh, what was it? Uh, oh my goodness, the 11th of February. So that is just over a week from recording now. So that's going to be our first uh, senior taste of Eel Stars in action. Yeah, well, that so that's on the same night as the Eels take on the Panthers. Yes. In the trial. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know how... Uh, there was vision of Dejan in a, a knee brace. Yeah, from the uh, the team Fox shoots, was it? or No, no, it was uh, from the um, uh, the season launch, season launch there, last yeah. night. Yeah, and um, so I I don't have I, I don't like to talk about injuries. I don't have any mail on that. Um, didn't see anything happen at training. Even if I did, I probably wouldn't be saying anything. So I don't. I, I know a few people have been sending me messages asking what's what's happening with Dejan. Um, it no was idea. it was news to me. You know, he just simply wasn't there for a couple of sessions. And you know what? Most of the time, I don't even think about that. When the players are in and out of training sessions all the time, all the time yeah, during a preseason, there's a lot of rotation. Yeah, um, you can see a bloke might only do one or two sessions off in the rehab group, and it could be some, you know, some sort of soreness, or they just want to lighten the load. Players are actually given a given days off here and there, depending on how they're tracking. It's um, I mean, that's that's not standard practice. Oh, you have a day off, you have a day. But, you know, the, depending on how the team is tracking in their preps, you know, there's all this sort of thing happens during a preseason. Uh, players might, they might be on light work for a week, depending on their workload. You might see them on the bikes or, or just doing a bit of light running rather than doing contact. And it, it could be the sort of thing where during the season proper, they play on the weekend. And because during the season proper, you'll see players, if there's two sessions in a week, the first session you might see a few blokes in, in orange vests. Mm-hmm. So they're not, so they're avoiding uh, contact. Yeah, there's a method, there's a method to all this madness based on the high performance yeah. trainers. Yeah. That's it. That's it. It is a, it is a real science. They, they wear those GPSs. It keeps track of how far they're running in a week. Load management. Yeah. So load management is very, very important. And so when when players aren't there at training and I get messages, oh, you didn't message, you didn't mention this person <laughs> or I've looked at the photos on the Eels official site and I didn't see such and such or I saw such and such with the the rehab group. You know what? The, the, it can be absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing. So Dylan Brown mentioned in his uh, interview on the news about getting the barley belly. Yes. When he was over there. Lost the numbers, QOS. So when he came back to Eels training, he basically didn't train for that first week. Yep. He he was still a bit crook. When I say didn't train, he didn't do any of the really heavy sort of training. He just did a bit of running around with the rehab and, and, um, you know, what he was doing was very, very light. And... You know, the immediate thought might be, oh, he's got some sort of niggle. No, barley belly. That's why I make no assumption yeah. that a player's got an injury or or anything like that. It was, you know, he, had a, he was crook in the guts straight out. I guess you don't want someone running around there, out, out there, if it's a bit dodgy about what oh, might Oh, goodness, happen. no. <laughs> so, yeah. Don't, don't need anyway. to pull up on aisle 10 when you're training. <laughs> so, mate, uh, we do have a special guest. 
uh, in this first podcast of the year and uh, really looking forward to it. Yes, sir. But for that, we need to be on site at Eels HQ in Kellyville. So bear with us for a moment as we get on location. Our listeners would be very familiar with our guests today. 172 NRL games with the Dragons, a whopping 475 first grade games as a head coach across the NRL and Super League, winning the title with St Helens. And he's now the Elite Pathways Coaching Director for the Eels. Nathan Brown, thanks for joining us. No problems, fellas. Uh, we're here to talk about round one of the junior rep season, but before we do, it's fair to say that the Eels don't mind accessing the nous of former Dragons greats. Uh, we're talking about, over the years, Ken Carney, Norm Proven, Steve Edge, Brian Smith, now Trent Barrett out there. You're in rare company in that list. How are you settling into your role at, at Para? Yeah, it's been been good fun working with the younger kids. It's probably something I haven't done for a... Uh, sort of long time and I've done a little bit of work with younger kids over the journey but um, when I was a younger coach a long time ago I spent my me, me first period there with the flag and it's the first time I've been back there in a full-time capacity for probably I don't know 20 something years so it's uh, it presents different challenges and it's different but it's been good fun. Good. Of course you were involved in the Eels pathway review prior to your appointment so you took over the role with some background knowledge but in light of that, have there been any surprises, pleasant or, pleasant or otherwise, sorry, as you've sort of gotten accustomed to your new role? Oh, there's always, I suppose, when you start a new role and you're dealing with, a, I suppose, a broad range of people and obviously a lot of younger teenagers as well, there's always some surprises and some are obviously quietly you know, pleasant and you think, oh, that, that's a, a good one. And obviously there's some other things that present challenges, but um, if you're not sort of taken on a, a role, I suppose, of this capacity... Uh, if you are, you got to expect some challenges, or you shouldn't probably do it. Is it is it fair to say that it's um, is there more fun in looking after the the younger ones? Oh, look, I'm not actually the coach of either side, so I'm sort of not, I suppose, in that day to day firing line. Even though they're only part time, the coaches, you know, they take a lot of pride and joy in whether they win or lose. And I suppose uh, when you're the the head coach, or I suppose an assistant coach, you. Uh, the losses are hard. I, I certainly don't want to see the boys uh, lose any games, and I certainly won't be happy if they do lose. But you know, I'm more there trying to keep an eye on, you know, hopefully playing a part in, in you know, helping the club uh, identify some talent that's already at the club, and to help, I suppose, manage them so that when they get up to sort of get to, a, I suppose, a, a role where they start to train with Brad Arthur on a more full time basis, they're, I suppose, a little bit more rounded than what they may may otherwise would have been. And um, talent identification, that's, that's something that's a real inexact science. In, uh, and, and we're also looking at the coaching, the mentoring, the support systems required for elite juniors. That's, that's really complex. I mean, unless people have had some familiarity with it, they're probably not as aware of that. Um, how are the eels tracking in our systems and our processes in in those regards. Yeah, well, recruitment's not a it's not an easy game. Yeah, as a so things have changed a lot, I suppose, from many many years ago. You'll often, I suppose, you hear people say Parramatta twenty five years ago would win the ball and the mats and do everything all the time. But yeah, you know, the goalposts have changed a lot. Um, you know, twenty five years ago there was probably five or six player agents. Now there's about two hundred of them. Uh, you know, all those years ago, I, I you know I've don't know much about him, but Parramatta lost a young kid called Michael Gabriel last year. Who you guys would be yes. quite aware of it, I'm yeah. not. But you know, 25 years ago, he would have got offered a contract by the Eels, and he would have just signed it. Where now, they actually, 
get shopped around, taken to see other coaches, whether it be a head coach or whether it be a general manager of football. So it's just much more transient now. So I, I suppose recruiters have a far harder job now than what they did many years ago, especially when you've actually got a, a, a pretty big sort of catchment area like Parramatta, but yet you're so close to the West Tigers, you're so close to the Bulldogs, you're close to the Dragons where, you know, travelling 40 minutes or 50 minutes to train now for a young kid, that's nothing these days. You know, there's a lot more money in rugby league. Parents are a lot more active, I suppose, and there's a lot more, I suppose, pushy parents or active parents or supportive parents, whichever one you may uh, have in your family. Um, uh, so it's just, yeah, it's a lot different now for recruiters. Their job's far, far, you know, the task is harder. Where if you look at, you know, I know Penrith have been the dominant side the last two years, but if you look at the last, you know, 20 to 25 years of rugby league, the two most dominant sides have been the Roosters and Melbourne, and they don't really have local juniors. So that probably shows you just how the recruitment game's changed mm-hmm. from many, many years ago. And it is great to see, you know, a club like Penrith actually come into the game and actually invest a lot of money in juniors because without your Parramatta's and Penrith's, uh, Brisbane Broncos, you know, sides that have got big junior catchments, you know, without those catchments you don't have uh, a good competition, you know, but it's a, it's a very difficult job for recruiters these days, especially if you've got a big catchment area. And, and just on one of the points that you made there, um, because maybe people aren't aware of uh, how active player agents are with the in, in the elite pathways. If you're at a game, you see them moving around and interacting with be it the players, the families, the staff. Is it important to establish good relationships with yeah. uh, player agents in you know that are looking after the young players? Oh, look, I, I think, you know, some people would, are very uh, critical of player agents. I think, you know, the, with the money in the game, they're, they're a necessity for most, most people because... You know, most families, mums, dads, aunties, uncles, they don't know what their son or nephew or cousin's worth um, and make no bones about it. A club will stitch a kid up on a deal that'll suit them very well if they can and the agent's there to, you know, I suppose, make sure that doesn't happen. Um, but with lots of agents and lots more money, as I said, it's become a lot more transient, you know. But, you know, you know relationships in rugby leagues those days are far different to what they used to be. Mm-hmm. Many, many, many years ago, a lot of things were based on trust and friendship. Um, we saw an article Crusher Cleal did the other day where he spoke about all those years ago and he started recruiting. Like, he trusted Cyril Connell. He trusted Mike Leary. He mentioned four or five names. Well, if you ask Crush, do you trust the same mould of people today because there's so much more business people mm-hmm. in rugby league now. Yeah. You have a lot more business relationships than you do actually friendships. And again, this is what happens when more and more money becomes involved in the game and obviously, you know, with the agents, you know, people, as I said, get critical agents and agents get it wrong sometimes too. But, you know, if an agent doesn't sometimes shop a young kid and then the parent finds out another club was interested in him, well, then they take the good player off the agent or another agent tries mm. to pinch him. And so it's a real difficult game for all parties. Um, but the relationships are very important. And, you know, some clubs and some recruiters have, you know, different types of relationships with different agents. And I suppose that's just the world of business, I suppose. But, it's always good to have a good relationship with all the agents, a good work relationship, because you certainly don't want to be frozen out from someone and miss out on the opportunity to, you know, to get the next Peter Sterling. Building on from what uh, 60 said and the importance of catchment areas, I suppose, there's a group of recruits this year from Queensland and our SG ball squad. I think there's five or six young men actually that have joined us. I'm really looking forward to seeing how they play this year, obviously. But how much of a challenge is it for any club, let alone the Parramatta Reels, and the development systems to get the right balance between local juniors and the external recruitment of talented young players? 
Yeah, look, it's the the balance is never easy, but what I do know is, you know, regardless of um, the size of your catchment area, you know, you don't always have the right players in the right positions coming through, so you certainly need to be targeting people outside your area. When you have an area like Parramatta, you know, the key is is not bringing people in from outside the area when you when you got better in your backyard, you know, so you've got to sort your own backyard out first. What do we need to recruit and then go and recruit it? And there's always a risk, you know, kids coming down and settling. It's always more difficult leaving home for the first time. So, you know, those kids have different types of challenges. But, yeah, look, being able to recruit from outside your area, you know, you're never going to you're never gonna win a, a grand final with 17 kids that grow up playing for Windsor or Rouse or Rhinos and all. That's just not going to happen, yeah. you know. So it's always important the recruiters are out there looking, which, you know, they've got all their connections and all the different activity happening out there where they get tipped up about different people. But... As I said, the key is, is you know, if you've got a good kid in your area, look after your own backyard first and then go and look for what you might need. But on that, I was very pleased to see that we had the return of the Para House. We've got Shah Henry that's um, looking after a, a few young players that have come from elsewhere. Um, is that important to have that home away from home for... I think that's young I think that's terrific. Yeah, and Shah and her husband do a terrific job. You know, they look after the kids well. And obviously, Shah's involved in coaching at the club as well with the yeah. with the Tasha Gar. You know, and she yeah. does a great job with the with the women there with Ryan and Ben. So, you know, Tasha um, Shah does numbers of things to help the club. But you know, there, you know, there's there's some types of kids that come down that you know they wouldn't survive without a Shah and a husband. But there's other types of kids who probably don't want that environment neither. Who need a different environment, and that's you know. That's for the agent, the club and all that to sort of work out what's the best pathway for each kid. And, and that comes back to that, to that um, getting all those little parts right, doesn't it? You know, that, that inexact science, that mentoring, yeah. that support system. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach, yeah. isn't it? No, no it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all, yeah. And as I said, you know, there's an element of kids that without someone like Sharon and her husband, that type of, uh, I suppose, place to live and that support, they would never survive. But as I said, there's others that... You know, happily go in a unit with another bloke or with a cousin or an auntie or an uncle and, and, and life's great for them. We were talking up at the Windsor Trials and you, you mentioned how much you were enjoying watching one of those teams play and and it got me thinking about um, is that a benefit of being involved in your role that you, you get to keep at this level have that enjoyment factor or is that enjoyment factor a part of a key essential if you are involved in a pathway system? Yeah, oh, look, I just, I enjoyed, you know, it was the Matt's Cup we're talking about, you know, the, I think that day, the, you know, young Lorenzo and Junior in the halves and young Corey played fullback. Uh, and I just liked the fact that they actually played footy, you know, they weren't mm-hmm. taking, going to certain marks in the field because the coach said, you got to go here before you do something. They actually look what was in front of them. If there was nothing on there, they'd run around and play together. So it sort of reminded me of watching kids play from a long time ago, you know, where they hadn't been, all the naturalness hadn't been taken out of them and it was quite enjoyable watching them play, you know, because there's lots of kids get lots of coaching, which is good these days, but sometimes, you know, they get taken what they're good at out of them because everyone copies off what they say on TV on a Friday night or what some NRL coach may or may not be doing, which doesn't mean it's in the best interest of a a 16-year-old halfback or 5'8". And, of course, we have the tags of structured and unstructured play, but, I mean, we're really talking about that un- that unstructured stuff is just playing what, you, what you've got in, in front of you, isn't it? It is, yeah, and don't get me wrong, the young blokes, you know, they've got a little structure which they play to, which the, the coach 
and his assistant coach have put in place. But I just like the fact that they they saw things that weren't happening yep. and they ran to where they could do something, you know, which yep. is which is great to see, you know, as opposed to go back to another part of the field because that's what I've been told I should yep. do and then go and run this play because I've been told to run it. They sort of just sort of did a little bit of what the coach wanted and a little bit of what they thought they should do and what they thought they should do worked out well, so it was good to watch. All right, let's talk Turkey then because uh, football's kicking off this weekend and the junior rep season starts in round one with a road trip, which Craig will talk about more on now. But for the pre-season itself, has it been productive for our our three representative teams in the juniors? I'd hope so, you know. We've obviously tried to make some changes there and uh, from the Mats Cup and the ball, you know, particular done some you know a fair bit of the break their game back and done a fair bit of video work which is a little bit different for them and I know you know Benny and Ryan and, and Shah have broke their draws right down too and done a fair bit of coaching and explaining on why you do things so so I think those things have you know certainly uh, helped um so my first time of as I said working with um, part-time staff and part-time players and you'd certainly look at things you'd go well I'd, you know, I could probably do that a little bit different I'd do that the same or was things wrong and right? So, but I, as a whole, you know, I personally enjoyed it from my point of view of actually watching young kids trying to learn the basics of their position, and uh, hopefully, they got something out of it as well. Well, that's an interesting point of comparison. Given your storied career, how much have things changed as a you know an elite junior in the in the regular league systems and when it comes to preparation and training? Yeah, it's I suppose you know. All those years ago, and I played flag. I think I can't remember now. We trained. I think we were doing three or four days a week, which is similar to what they're doing now. So I'm not sure how much it's changed, but there's probably more money put into it. Like there's, you know, there's probably a few more staff. There's probably a few more eyes on people. Um, there's probably you know, players getting paid a lot more money, obviously, which is, you know, the, the first grade players when I first started, they're getting a lot more money now too. You know, so all that sort of, I suppose, the dynamic of that's changed and. There's a lot more agents, as we said before, trying to get hold of players and a lot more agents and clubs trying to move players or pinch players. So that's changed a lot. But as the training changed, it's probably done a little bit smarter now. But I think the the hours of training is probably not much different. That's interesting. Has the expectation of the players increased? Now, and I don't just mean in, in terms of performance, but you see around the uh, team environment that the, the young players, they're expected to be professional in how they turn up. Um, their promptness on, you know, to training, wearing all the right attire, um, carrying, uh, representing the club in the best possible fashion. Is yeah, I think those things around when I came down, you know, I mean, I was at, the, at St George and Brian Smith had been there. It was Smith had only been in for probably about two years, you know, so St George had gone through a big change, you know. So as far as I can recall, you know, our coach used to like us to turn up on time and whatever our gear was, wear our gear, so... I'm not sure any of those things have changed that much. Is things less acceptable now than before? Maybe. Um, but there's so much more things in place now, you know, welfare, welfare officers. Mm-hmm. Never had any of that sort of stuff years ago. But the, from a training point of view and a discipline point of view, I'm not convinced that you know, the, the, that's any, any different now. We mentioned that we've got uh, round one uh, road trip up to the central coast. First up, it's the mats that are uh, playing, the roosters at 10.30. There's been that bit of anticipation about the Mats team this year, um, but it's a short season. Round one sets the tone. What are the coaches going to be looking for from that Mats team? Oh, look for both teams. I think you know they've got the teams are probably a little different in where they're, where what sort of I suppose what the 
strengths they have in their team are. So that they might be looking for you know, little bits of different things from a from a technical footy point of view. But as a whole, I think you know that competing. They're going to want to see that. They're going to want to see you know early in the year, whether it doesn't matter what grade it is. You know, you know having reasonable ball control and kick them all. I mean that's important whether it's the start of the or the end of the year. But you know when your timing's out and you're not quite as fit as what you are after four or five games, that ball control and Kicking well, I would have thought they'd they'd be looking for that, and and like everyone, you know that you know the goal line defense and ability to I suppose stop tries, and if they create some opportunities, they'd like to take them, you know. So so I don't think it's uh, going to be you know overly complicated for either side, but as I said, they've got little bits of different things in their team where they could probably um, offer different strengths and weaknesses. But if they got through their sets and kicked well, had an ability to you know stop and save tries and. When they do create some opportunities, yeah, nail them. I would have thought they'd be pretty happy with that. Second game kicks off at 12pm with the Roosters again hosting the Eels, but this time in the SG Ball. A number of that squad participated in the full-time pre-season before the Christmas break. We already spoke about it, spoke about it on the podcast earlier today, but do you think expectations are a bit higher on this team this year because of that experience from those core players? Uh, from what I understand, and I can't say for every club, but I know there's been a number of clubs that did the same thing because of the World Cup. You know, obviously the World Cup taken a lot of players yep. away from squads. So I think from what my understanding is, there's been a number of clubs that have done that. So I don't think Parramatta's on their own there. I think it's a great initiative from all the clubs that did it to give the young kids a little bit more training. Um, does it create a little bit more expectation on players? It probably does, you know. I know from my point of view, I sort of don't really know much about the guys yet. I've, but, I, you know, my way of thinking was, well, they've been training with Brad Arthur and his staff for eight or ten weeks. Well, I'd be... Yeah, expectations yep. certainly rise, but as I said, from a, a, a club point of view, I think numbers of clubs are done, and I'm not sure how many, but I know there's definitely been a few. And there's been a big investment by the club in the female pathways, uh, appointment of, of staff looking after the, the pathways. Obviously, they're, they're looking at expanding that, um, seeing that transition going from the Tasha Gale up to the NRLW, they start off this week with probably the toughest opponents being the uh, Roosters Indigenous Academy who play every year. We see them play incredible football. Um, what should the uh, focus be for them? Is it similar to the, the boys, do you think, that just yeah, well, the that, basics? It, well, again, you know, it's the the, the thing that time this time of the year is... is you know, no one's match fit yet because yep. they haven't played enough games. So, you know, if you've got an ability to hold on to the ball and kick it reasonably well, well, at least you can preserve a little bit of juice as opposed to if you turn the ball over a lot and get yourself in a bit of a, a cycle where you haven't haven't got enough ball and your fatigue's going to be a lot more in yep. round one than it would be in round four or five. So, you know, I'm guessing that'd be what. But again, yeah, you know, they've they've uh, they're the the ladies uh, games a little bit little bit different and um, you know. All their coaches, you know, as I said before, done a terrific job. You know, Ryan and Ben, the two male coaches, and then you got Char sure. as the female assistant. There, you know, they've got a, a great atmosphere around their training. They've got some some good little players. I do understand, you know, if I understand, they've got a couple of the very very good players that actually are already out with uh, some long term injuries, which is not good for any team. But look, I, I I think they're expecting to have a have a good year. They had a very good year last year. Yeah, they were the stars really of our program. The the women's team. Yeah, so they had a very good year last year. And I, you know, from to my my understanding is, you know, they're hopeful of, of looking to build on last year, and they're happy with their preseason and and uh, you know, hopefully cross fingers. It's you know, you, you just keep your better players on the field so you can get some consistency. 
I think we'll uh, wrap things up there. Don't want to take too much of uh, Brownie's time, given that it is the kickoff tomorrow in the, the junior <laughs> reps. Uh, but we are incredibly appreciative of you having a chance to sit down and uh, get to know us, mate. And hopefully we can uh, touch base later in the season if the Eagles doing well in all three grades and go right through to the Jersey flag as well with uh, the other, uh, I suppose, not really junior team, but the other pathways team there. So thank you for coming on to the tip sheet, mate. Much appreciated. No problems, fellas. Anytime. Yeah, thanks, mate. And that concludes another episode of the tip sheet. As always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. We're starting to ramp things up as the preseason hits its zenith with trials on the way, junior reps in action, and the Parramatta Eels in general just hitting top gear ahead of the NRL launch. Of course, a massive thanks to Nathan Brown for being so generous of his time to both myself and 60s. It was a blast to have him on the tip sheet, and we look forward to having him back. Until then, though, we'll catch you guys in the next episode.